Hello, TLR. Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, hey, like Mitchell said, uh, tonight where we're going to go, I really do hope that it can become a reminder for you of what is true. Uh, I think regardless of what you're going, uh, what's going on in your life and when you come in here with, uh, that's just the thing that carries us through. That's the thing that holds us is just to be reminded of what's true. And sometimes we just need that. So tonight, my hope is that where we're going to go will be that for you, a reminder of what is true for so many of you. Um, hopefully y'all are doing well. Is anybody excited about spring break coming up? Anybody can? Okay, good. That was a very subtle excitement. Um, it's because you're Christians and you're going to do it right. I don't know. You're probably going to go hard. We gave away a liquid IV tonight. We know what's coming, okay? Um, I do want to know though, is anyone, do y'all have midterms? Is midterms going on right now? If you got like mid, okay, I'm sorry. We're going to pray. Bow your heads. No, just kidding. You'll be fine, guys. You'll be fine because you'll be at spring break next week. Won't matter. It'll be great. Uh, where we're going to go tonight as we finish out this series called The Games We Play. We've been focusing on it the entire semester so far because we really think that it's important to understand the games that we play in life. Now, when I say the games we play, I know that for a lot of you, that probably means that you got different games coming in your mind. So I just got to ask because I did it the first week. I didn't really get a response. I'm curious. Any Settlers of Catan fans in the room? Any Settlers of Catan? You ever played it? Who's never heard of Settlers of Catan? Cool, see y'all later, I'm out, that's good, I'm done. No, it's the greatest game ever played, guys, okay? Uh, We just taught our son and our daughter how to play, and I watched my son, my 10-year-old son, be the most ruthless human to my wife, his mom, ever. And my wife is so competitive. Is anybody, show me, anybody super competitive when it comes to games? Okay, my wife will like flip tables, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if I win too much, she's like, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I love you. Yeah. And my son keeps taking pieces from her and keeps blocking her, stealing from her. And then she's like, are you serious right now? And he's like, yeah. And I'm going to do it again. I'm like, (laughs) you don't know what's coming. Like, this is going to be the end of your life. This is great. Good job. And that's how he ended. No, he won the game. Little jerk. Uh, How many of you, whenever you play, you just got to win any game. It doesn't matter. Like board games, any of those games, we all like to win the games we play. Another game, and it's not maybe a board game, but an active game that I, um, I think I win a lot. Uh, Jordan knows I win a lot. Anybody play pickleball? Pickleball. Any pickleball? I see you, Jordan. Jordan, how many points did you get against me in pickleball? We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the how many points you got against me in pickleball. Jordan's great. Now, listen, I love playing pickleball. I hate losing any kind of sport. I hate losing. It's not my thing. It's probably where my son gets it from. If not me, his wife, all of us, because we all hate losing. And so what we've been talking about in this series is how you can win at these games we play, but the games aren't the games like board games or active games. It's the games of life. It's the games that we, over the last three weeks, or last three times we've talked, have discussed the games we play with our faith, the games we play with our identity. Two weeks ago, we talked about the games we play with our appetites. And in all of these games, what we're trying to do is figure out how to win. Why? Because that's what you want to do. You want to get it right. You want to win at these games. You want to get life right. You want to get college right. You want to get your future right. You want to get all these things right. So that's why we're talking about this. And what I need you to know tonight as we jump into it is that it's not just you that wants to get it right. I want you to get it right. Your small group leaders, if you're in a small group, they want you to get it right. Your family, they want you to get it right. Your friends, they want you to get it right, I promise. But I need you to know tonight that God also wants you to get it right. He does. His desire for you is that you'd be able to find the more and better life than you could ever dream of. He wants you to get it right, and we know this. 
we know this is true because of what he did for us. So you may have walked in here not fully understanding or knowing what God has done for you and how he views you. And so I just want you to know real fast, we know that God wants us to get it right because of what he did for us. He gave us Jesus. He sent his son to come and rescue us, to become our savior. He sent his son, he sent Jesus here to become our savior and forgive us of our sins. And so he gave up his life for us. That's how much he loves us. This is how we know that he's for us and that he wants us to get it right. We know this is true because he gives us grace. And that's the idea that I wanna talk about tonight. It's the idea of where we're gonna land is this. It's all about grace. Tonight we're gonna talk about grace. In a game we play with grace. But here's the difference of tonight. If you're taking notes, this is gonna be a little bit different. Because tonight we're not gonna talk about how you win the game of grace. It might be that tonight instead of figuring out how to win the game of grace, you need to figure out how to quit playing the game of grace altogether. But before we jump into what that game is, what it looks like, and why you may need to quit, first I just wanna explain to you, give you a primer of what is grace. Now for me, this is the single thing about faith, about following Jesus, that I've probably had the most difficult time with in my entire life. Because grace doesn't make sense sometimes in my brain. I live in the world of fair. I get what I deserve. That's just how my brain works. Really, that's how the world, I think, thinks. That's how the world sometimes works. But grace is something different. Grace, by definition, is this. Grace is undeserved favor. It's undeserved favor. You can't earn it. You can't get enough merit for it. It is not something because of how great you are. It is undeserved favor. That favor meaning it's, it's a blessing. It's a promise. It's something that carries you through, but it's undeserved. And when you understand this, when you understand the reality of grace, grace becomes something that is worth everything. Grace is incredible. Like when you catch a glimpse of what grace is and what it means for you, it will change everything because it's worth everything. Grace, grace is you getting a second chance. And how many of us, just sometimes we do so much dumb stuff, like I just, if I could just do it over again, if I could have a second chance. That's what grace is. Grace is getting a second chance. And then it's getting a second chance again. Grace is incredible. It's worth everything. Grace is not having to get clean before you come to God. It's simply your ability to come to God and then he makes you clean. That's grace. Grace is Jesus showing up to save us from our sins. Grace is being forgiven of those sins when we follow him. Grace is incredible. It is worth everything. It is a free gift that is available to every single one of you. It's a free gift available to every single person. And it's because of that that I think we end up taking advantage of it and playing a game when it comes to grace. Let me illustrate what I mean. Let's take this fence right here. Some of you are smart and you're like, Matt, that's not a fence, that's a baby gate. Well, guess what? I got five babies, this is called a fence, all right? This keeps them in and off of the stairs. This is a fence from Wombaland that I stole to explain to you the difference of what happens in our life when it comes to grace. Because here's what we know is true. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, every single one of us know in life things happen or we make decisions that fall on one of two sides of this fence. 
Here's what I mean. There are things that happen in life that you look at them and you can define them and know, ah, that's not good. That thing, mm-mm, that wasn't good. That's a bad thing. And then there are others who realize that was a good thing. That, that was pretty good. You don't even have to follow Jesus to know this because every single one of us have a moral compass that is built in and designed to us where we can look at the world and see that's a bad thing or that's a good thing. We can see the differentiation of the two. And in the Christian faith, what we know is true is that Jesus is on this side of the fence. He's on this side because Jesus leads to everything that is good. He's the standard in the banner of what is good. And so in our Christian faith, we know that Jesus is on this side and that everything not Jesus would be then as the opposite on this side. And what grace does, why grace is worth everything, is grace moves us from this side to this side. It moves us from bad to good or from evil to good. Grace moves us from darkness to light or from shame into forgiveness. I mean, think about it. These good things that we would all desire, grace moves us from being lost to being found. It moves us from sin and disobedience to surrender and obedience. Grace is worth everything. It's this undeserved favor that we get because of Jesus and because of how much God loves us. And so, as a Christian, I'm gonna say it one more time for you to understand the reality of what grace actually is, is grace is worth everything. It's worth everything. And so, When we see that it's worth everything, when we realize what grace is and what grace does, the problem that we have with grace and the game that we play with it is that we end up thinking and we end up living not like it's either here or here, but we end up thinking that we have a third spot that we can be and we think we can live right on, if I stood on that, it would break and I'd probably rip my jeans, so I'm not going to, okay? If we, we think we can live right in the middle on the fence. This is the mentality, this is the thinking that so many of us take when it comes to grace. And anybody can do this. Anybody can have this. This idea that we get to pick and choose which side of the fence we live on based on what we do. And so I'm gonna categorize two different types of people in the room. And you're gonna see how both of them have the exact same issue and the exact same thinking when it comes to this idea. And so the first group of people in the room tonight is if you are here, I'm so glad you are here. This is exactly where I'd love for you to be. It's for the non-followers of Jesus. If you showed up tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't given your life to him, maybe you're curious, maybe she's just real cute. I don't know the reason why he showed up, but if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're in here, you play this game as well. You know that you do. Think about it. You do things over here, and then because of your moral compass, you feel this weight of like, oh, that was bad. I, w- I should probably do something that's good. I don't know that I need to stay in there. I, I need a shower. You know what I mean? Like, I need to get back over here. I remember in one day in high school, I watched the movies Jackass and Eight Mile back to back, and I was like, this is not, mm-mm. no, I literally went and took a shower. You know what I'm saying? Like, This just doesn't feel right. I don't know that I need this. 
And so we have this constant tug and pull of, I'm over here, but I think I need to be a good person and be over here. This has nothing to do with Jesus. We all know this. But my question to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is this. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of that game? Of constantly wondering and weighing whether enough, whether, whether or not it's good enough to be over here? I mean, I know from my experience, that is a difficult game to play, and it is exhausting. Living on this side of the fence, on this side of the decisions, making lifestyle choices, having thoughts, and then wondering and hoping, how do I tip the scales in my favor to be good enough that maybe I can actually be over here? My question for you to think about is, what if there was a way for you to stay over here? If I told you there was a way that you could stay over here, wouldn't you want that? I think you'd want that. And I want you to have that too. And so what I want you to do over the next few minutes is I want you to lean in. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to lean in. Because the challenge that I would give to you is the exact same challenge that I would give to the people in the room who would proclaim to be Christians. Because there's something on this side that is available to us that is better for us, that leads to a more and better life than you could ever dream of. Now the second group of people, if you are a follower of Jesus in the room, if you have received that grace before, if you know what it's like to follow him because he's forgiven you of your sins, your thought process and how you respond to grace will determine a lot of your life. Because here's the thinking that we can so easily get into. Because grace is such an undeserved favor, and because it's so great and because it's so free, we think, I got grace, so now I'm good. Because his grace, it covers it all. And it's free. That's why it's here. So I accepted Jesus and I follow him in my life. And I'm gonna go to TLR on Wednesdays and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into my Bible and I'm gonna pray. But man, on Thursday, that party looks like it's gonna be a rager. And I think I deserve, I'm, I just am, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go. When they get crazy, I'm gonna leave. But I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. It's okay. And then I'm not like, like I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna be pure with my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what he says and be obedient. But, but have you seen her in those shorts? I just am, I can't like, and she actually likes me. Like, do you know what it is like to have someone like you? And then she gave me a hug and I got all tingly inside like I was 12 again and now she's, she's in my room. I just like, I think I'm gonna, you know. And then, but I'm over here, but I know I'm not supposed to do that. So I'm, I'm back over here and I'm, and I'm playing this yo-yo game. And, and really, this is the difference. It's doing what Jesus says for us to do to lead to the more and better life than we could ever find versus what we want to do and when we want to do it. And if we live this type of life, some of us, without even knowing it, live it because we think, well, it's okay, because if I fall, his grace covers it. So I'm just gonna live on the fence, and today I'm gonna be good. Or today, uh, whoops, messed up, I did a little bad. See, there's actually this, musical artist known worldwide. Everyone knows her. If I said her name, you'd know what it is. Who has a tattoo of Jesus on her arm. 
And she was interviewed by someone a few years back, and they said, hey, you got a tattoo of Jesus Christ on your arm. That's interesting. Tell me more about it. Why do you have it? And the response was, well, it's a reminder to me that whenever I want to, I can always go back. I mean, yeah, but (laughs) let's call it what it is. This is a game. If this is your mentality, if this is how you respond and approach grace, it's a game. You're playing a game. You are playing a game with your faith. You are playing a game with your life. You are playing a game with God, and you are playing a game with his grace. And so, thankfully, we have this guy named James, who was the brother of Jesus, who wrote this letter to the early church, to the early Jewish Christians, who have decided to follow Jesus, but they've got this cultural voice around them, telling them, this Roman culture telling them how to go live, this Greek culture telling them how they should live. And then they've got this historical voice in their past of all the laws that they gotta keep in order to be good enough to be over here. They got all these voices trying to figure it out, and James sits there and he gives them this letter saying, listen, listen, listen. Everyone's telling you what to do. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got whatever culture's telling them and how they should sway. I'm just telling you real quick that there is a, there is something to your life and your actions matching your faith. Whatever you believe about faith, whatever you believe about that grace, your lifestyle has to be in sync with it. And so in James chapter four, we see his letter that glow forewarning, if you already see it up here, it can feel a little harsh, but it's given out of love because what he wants for these people is the exact same thing that you want. He wants them to get it right, just like you want. So here's what he says in verse four, in James four, verse four. He says, you adulterous people. I told you this is harsh. This is a lot. This is not like rainbows and unicorns, right? He's so kind. He just called you an adulterous people. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, because friendship with the world means enmity with God, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's that's a tough look, James. You mean that? Like an enemy of God? I mean, I get that I like, I get that I do sometimes, but grace, you know what I mean? No, it says that you're an enemy of God. And what James is doing is he's drawing two sides. He's saying there's the way that the world says you should live, and there's the way that God says you should live. He's drawing two sides to this argument. He's setting a playing field. He's setting a fence. And the language James uses is he says, if you're dabbling over here, what you're actually doing is you're committing adultery. And you're like, hang on. I'm not not even dating anybody right now. I am a virgin. I don't know how to do that. He's using relationship language. Catch it. He's using relationship language because what God wants for you is a relationship with you, a committed, lifelong relationship with you. 
And so in that vein, what James is actually saying is, if you feel like you can accept his grace and you wanna live this way, you wanna call yourself a Christian, but you're dabbling over here on this side, you are cheating on God. And maybe at this moment you're like, yeah, but everybody messes up. But everybody sins. Isn't that what grace is for? Yes, but. See, God gives us grace whenever you're over here, but he doesn't want you to keep going over here. And this makes sense to you. I know it does, because I want you to think about it. I've been married 12 and a half years to my wife. If my wife, if I go home and I found out tonight that my wife cheated on me, watch out first. Just kidding. Somebody's gonna burn. No, I'm just, that's not true. If I went home and I found out my wife cheated on me, I would have already forgiven her. Because when I stood in front of her, little marriage lesson, I said, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, that means regardless of circumstance, I am choosing you. So I would forgive my wife. But that doesn't mean I want my wife to do it again. Right? Show of hands, how many of you would like to be cheated on one day? Funny how there's no hands. Now let's play this game out. How many of you, if you were cheated on, would wanna be cheated on again? Funny how there's no hands. None of us would want that. So it makes sense in our brain that yes, God gives grace when we go over here, but he doesn't want us to keep going over here. And so when we don't understand that aspect of grace, we start taking advantage of it. Here's how James continues on this idea. It says, or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? He jealously longs for us, but he gives us more grace. Like you would be the exact same. You'd give grace, but you would, if you got cheated on and maybe you've been cheated on before, that betrayal is awful, you would become so fiercely jealous if you were in a committed relationship with someone and they cheated on you. And God's saying, I want to be in a relationship with you. I don't want you to do that because I love you, because I'm for you, because I gave everything for you. And so if you don't want that in your relationships in life, you need to know God doesn't want that in your relationship with him. Because at the end of the day, that's what he's trying to do. Regardless of how you walked in here, regardless of how you identify yourself, regardless of what you did last night, this morning, last year, it doesn't matter. You need to understand that God wants a, a relationship with you. He loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you through Jesus. But if we live like we're on the fence, can I tell you that's not accepting his grace. That's taking advantage of it. And if anything, it's incredibly self-centered. When I live on the fence, acting like I can do what I wanna do, but it's okay because his grace is there. I'm saying, who's the main character in my life? Me? It's incredibly prideful. It's a prideful way to think that you have that much control over what you do in your life. And James gives a warning to it. He keeps going with this idea of it being prideful. He says, this is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, 
Now, if you believe in God and you believe that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth and he's all powerful and he loves you and he's for you and he sent Jesus to save you, if you believe that he exists, why would you ever wanna be in opposition to him? You wouldn't. No one in their right mind would say that. Even if I went up to an atheist who doesn't believe that God exists and I pressed them really hard, I'm like, okay, but just play the game with me. Let's say he does. Let's say he is there and he is all-powerful, would you wanna be against an all-powerful God? Would you wanna be against an all-knowing God? Would you wanna be against an all-present God? They wouldn't say yes. Of course not, we don't want to. You never wanna be against him, but whenever you live your life like it's on the fence and you get to choose, James is saying, but you are. And so as you evaluate your life, as you think about where you are and the games that you're playing with grace, if you don't wanna be against God, or if you find that you've been living on the fence, or maybe you just realize, I've just been living over here the entire time. What do you do? What do you do at this moment that you become aware of where you are in life? What do you do? James keeps going because he says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. There's our grace word, favor, undeserved favor. He shows favor to the humble. The way I understand favor is it means that you're on his team. It means that he fights for you. It means that he protects you. It means that he does things on your behalf without you even knowing. It's living within a blessing of God's hand over your life. And so if you wanna keep living a prideful life, you will become in opposition to God. But if you figure out how to find humility, you will find that favor because humility and favor go hand in hand. So if you tonight realize you've been playing the grace game, what do you do? What can you do? I mean, how do you get this right? Because that's what you want to do. You want to get it right. How is it that you can live with this level of humility? What do we do now? And James has a prescription of how to get there. He gives us seven things that you can go and do that allow you to have a heart posture of humility. In verse seven, he begins it by saying this way. He says, so what you need to do Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. To submit to God means I give up, I surrender. It's no longer self-centered, now it's God-centered. I submit myself to him and what he wants versus myself and what I want. That's the first step is I gotta submit myself to him. And the moment I do that, what I'm actually doing is step two. It's this one, and this makes sense. Resist the devil, which everyone's like, of course, why would I? Resist the devil, but here's what happens, and he will flee from you. James ain't telling no lies. If you resist the devil, something will happen. He will flee from you. And then he takes this step number two, and he couples it with step number three on the positive side, because when you resist the devil and step away from the darkness and into the light, at the moment that happens, you get to live with a promise that allows you to keep on coming because here's verse eight, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to God 
and he will draw near to you. If you take a step towards God, he's going to take a step towards you. In other words, if you take a step towards God and it's a step of obedience and it's tough and it's tricky and it's difficult, you will never find in God's character that he's gonna be like, keep on coming, uh-huh, yep, little, little, oh, that was a good one. Come on, stand up. He's not gonna trick you. It's a promise. that if you come near to him, he will come near to you. Eugene Peterson, who translated the Bible, it's a paraphrase called the message that I've used a lot here at TLR. Here's how he says these two lines. I love it so much. James 7 and 8, he says, yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. But say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Do you see the difference of posture? You are supposed to be aggressively loud and yell no to the devil and he'll make himself scarce. Say a quiet, humble yes to God and he'll be there. You're supposed to be aggressively loud to one and humbly gentle to the other. You're supposed to be adamant to one and cuddle up to the other. But did you know that if you do the opposite, you'll find the exact same result? If you yell a loud no to God, he's gonna say, okay. He's not gonna force you to love him because he loves you. So if you yell a loud no and say, see you never, I'm going over here, he's gonna say, okay. And he will make himself as far away from you as you want him to be. But in the moment you do that, what you're cuddling up next to is the devil. You're cuddling up next to the enemy. You're cuddling up next to the world and they're gonna be so close and give you everything you think you want in that moment. But we know that whenever I do that, I'm always left wanting and wanting to know how can I be good enough, though, to actually get over here. And so whichever one you yell to, they'll respond that way. Whichever one you cuddle up to, they're going to respond that way. And so he talks about this reality. He keeps going in verse 9. The next two we have, he says, so wash your hands. And this is the word that's tough. You sinners. It's an accusation. It's a stain, but it's also calling to the reality and the truth of what we do when we live like what we want is best and most and what I'm going after instead of what God wants. And so he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, double-minded means both sides. Double-minded means playing the field. Double-minded means I think I can have both of these things. I'm gonna dabble on this side, but I'm gonna try to say I'm gonna live on this side. It means on the fence. That's double-minded. So the opposite of double-minded is single-minded. Being single-minded means you choose one side, you stay there. See, what James is telling us to do is he's giving us a call to repent. He's giving us a call to turn around. If you've been living the grace games and living on the fence in your faith, he's telling you, hey, quit wandering, quit running, come back home. That grace is there for you, not to take advantage of, but to receive and to live with. You can't keep cuddling up to the world and your urges and your desires and your thoughts and your expressions. You can't keep cuddling up to that first, but act like it's fine though, because I've got grace. James would say, wash your hands of that. Purify your heart of that. In other words, there are changes that may need to happen in your life, 
both outside with your hands and inside with your heart. In other words, if you find yourself playing this game, it's because you've both got rhythms outside that are causing you to live that way and you've got thoughts on the inside causing you to live that way. So go after both of them. The hesitancy to doing this, the hesitancy to actually not living on both sides and living in the grace that he offers is that for some of you it may mean that you have to walk away from something. This is the hard part. Because over here can feel real good. Over here, that relationship, it can feel so fulfilling. And you feel so seen. And you feel so loved. And you feel so wanted. And isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be wanted? Isn't that the yearning and the desire that you have? is to be wanted, and it can feel so wanted. But you can keep making mistake after mistake. You can keep feeling regret after regret. And really what you're doing is you're staying inside of something that is toxic and is killing you, even though it feels good for a moment. It's taking you out in your life. And it may mean that you have to walk away from those things or walk away from those opportunities or walk away from those friends or walk away from those parties or walk away from that thing. And the hesitancy we have is that that's going to hurt and it's gonna be tough and it's going to cost you something. But grace will always cost you something. If you start thinking that you can have grace because it's free, and that means it's cheap, you've missed it. Because the only way you can have grace is that it cost God everything. It cost Jesus his life for you to have grace. So if it cost him everything, it's not gonna cost you nothing. There is a cost to living with grace. And it might hurt. And I get it. I've had to walk away from relationships. I had to break up with a girlfriend in high school. I had to say no to an opportunity. I had to take a season where I distanced myself from some people that were friends since I was a child. I had to not go and watch that thing. I had to make a decision not to go and give my money to this place. I had to make these hard choices. And I get it. And James does too. Look what he says. He says, so if this is you, grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's giving you the forewarning that your feelings will be involved. And can I tell you something? That's good news. Because what the gospel and what grace and what James are saying is, they're not saying, so get over it. Oh, you like that? Okay, get over it. He's not saying that. He's not telling you to disregard your feelings. He's saying to be honest about them, to embrace the season that you're in and to live in the moment of knowing this is tough. But just because it's difficult, it doesn't mean that it's bad. And just because it's difficult, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. And just because it might be difficult, it doesn't mean that it's not worth it because grace is worth everything. 
If you get grace out of that trade, it's worth it because grace is worth everything. It's the only true way you can move from one side to the other. So if grace is worth everything, what James is saying is, so quit playing games with it. And regardless of who you are, I think there are three choices you can make in response to James's call. The first choice is this. You can stay right where you are. You can dig your heels in. You can listen to everything James said and the reality of what's happening in your life and you can just say like, no, I'm good. And can I let you know the truth? Is that God will let you do that. He gives you free will. He gives you the choice to make that decision. But I just gotta ask you, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just something to think about. Is that really what you want? I mean, is that really what you want to play that game? That tiring, exhausting game of wondering whether or not it's good enough? So the first choice is you can stay right where you are. The second choice that you have is that you can receive his grace for the very first time. If you've been living over here your entire life and tonight is when you're becoming aware of the lifestyle choices that you've been making, of the decisions you've been making, the relationships you've been in, the way that you've been thinking, your rhythms and your thoughts, if you've been over here your entire life and you've never received and accepted that grace of Jesus, Jesus is giving it to you freely. He's making it available to you right now. He's saying, I came and I died on the cross to save you from your sins because you can never be good enough to stay over here. You can't even get over here because you're constantly going to come back on this side. So when I died on the cross, I went into the ground. I was buried in that tomb so that three days later, I could defeat death and defeat that sin so that you can find life. It was the plan before the earth was ever even created was that Jesus would give up everything so that you could find his grace. And so if you want to receive it, you know what it looks like? Just stepping over the wall, just stepping over the fence, just moving from one side to the other and embracing what he's offering you. Now, the key to this, you need to understand, I'm using a baby gate on purpose because this wall from this side to that side, it is not an impossible height. We're not at Stone Summit, praise God, because I can't go 10 feet. This is not a massive mountain you've got to get over. Jesus made it possible. He made it simple. He made it clear. If you give your life to following him, he moves you from this side to this side. It's a free gift called grace, and it's available to you. So tonight you can receive that, and then your life looks like that. That's the second option, the third option is that there are some of you who have already received that grace. You know what it's like to be over here. You stepped over that wall, you stepped over that fence, but your life since then, you've been living like you're on it. You've been living this double-minded life, dabbling in sin, dabbling with the world, cuddling up to what the enemy would want for you. And while you may be thinking, it's okay because his grace covers my sin, what you need to do tonight, your third option, is you just need to move back towards Jesus. You just need to come back home. You need to repent, which means turn around and stop running that way and start running this way again. And then what that looks like is, you run so far and hard after Jesus that the fence isn't even a possibility anymore. 
because the fence fades from view when you focus on the one who saved you. This won't become attractive anymore the more you come near him. Because when you draw near to him, he draws near to you and he starts to give you the desires that he wants for you for a more and better life than you could ever dream of. And so do you need to move towards him again? Maybe tonight's when you move away from those rhythms and those thoughts and you move back towards Jesus. Now, number one, choice number one, for you to stay over here, takes a lot of pride. But remember, it's the proud that are opposed to God. But choice number two, choice number three, takes a lot of humility. And remember, humility is how you get grace. And when you do, I want you to know when you make that decision, it may, feel, it may be difficult, it may feel costly, but God will be right there. He will be right there, right where you are, right as you are. That's called grace. You can't earn it because it's undeserved favor. And so the promise that you can find if you choose to move towards Jesus, if you quit playing the game of grace, when you understand that it's worth everything, the final promise that James gives you that you can hold on to is found in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It may feel like a death it may feel like it's impossible, it may feel difficult, and it may feel costly, but he'll be right there waiting in your humility to lift you back up and to help you moving in the way that you wanted to go all along because you wanna get it right, and so does he. So let's quit playing the games with grace. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for hard and honest truth. Thank you for loving us so much that you save us exactly as you find us. That that, great is, that grace is available to us exactly where we are. Right now, exactly where we are, that grace is available to us because you love us so much. So thank you for loving us so much that you wanna save us exactly as you find us. But Jesus, thank you even more that you love us too much to leave us as you found us. You are in the business of growing us up and leading us into the more and better life than, you, than we could ever dream of. So my ask is that in the name of Jesus, we would find that life. That students in this room would quit playing games with you and they'd quit playing games with your grace. That we would realize that that fence is never going to lead to the life that we desire. Only you can. So Jesus, thank you. However we need to respond to you, I just pray that we would. We'd be brave enough, we'd be courageous enough, we'd be honest enough about where we are. And we would draw near to you over the next few moments and over the next few days that would lead to the next season of just drawing near to you. And that we constantly find that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So come close. Encounter us where we are and lead us into living with your grace, which is available because you love us. So thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.